Well, I hope everybody has had a good morning this morning, has enjoyed some time of encouragement with each other. I'm sure I saw a lot of you having conversations in the hallways before I came in. I find that a lot of my conversations, just in general, are, are typically about very mundane things, everyday things. I talk about, you know, what we did over the weekend or what we're planning on doing uh, during the week or how my kids are doing in school. I spend a lot of time talking about food. I don't know if that's true of you. Seems like a great number of my conversations revolve around uh, what I ate or what I'm going to eat, sometimes what I wish I could eat. I even have conversations about what somebody else ate. I'll go home and I'll talk to my wife. I'm like, hey, did you hear somebody was telling me about this restaurant they ate at? Anyway, a lot of my conversations just really uh, don't carry that much import. You know, they're just not really that important to the, the, to the things that are going on. And I think that's true for most of us. It's great sometimes just to share our lives and the normal everyday parts of our lives with each other. But every once in a while, we have a conversation. We have a moment that is particularly important. We have a conversation that is particularly urgent. And that's a little bit of what we're going to be looking at today, one of those moments. It's an urgent moment. The time is short. The, uh, the, the things we're talking about are important, and, it, and it's intimate. It's between two people. And so what we're going to see today is a letter from Paul to Timothy. And it's one of these important conversations and important moments. See, Paul is in chains in Rome. He's imprisoned uh, for preaching the gospel. And Paul expects to be executed uh, any time now coming up. He, he says his, his time is done. He has run the race. He's about to be poured out his drink offering. Uh, Paul, ex- Paul expects to be killed soon. And he's writing this letter to Timothy, and Timothy, uh, he calls his true child in his faith, his beloved son. And so Paul has this intimate relationship with with Timothy where he has raised him up in the faith. He has discipled him. He has trained him. He has led him through the churches and taught alongside him. He's even entrusted Timothy to help lead some of the churches as he's left him behind. So Paul and Timothy have this father-son discipleship relationship, this relationship with close um, co-workers and his friends. And so Paul is writing this letter, and he's not sure if these might be his last words to Timothy, the last thing he can communicate to Timothy in this letter. And so what you see here is is an important moment between the discipler and the disciplee, the father, the son, the spiritual mentor, the teacher. And so what are the things that Paul is going to write? What vital message is he going to send to Timothy in this letter to help Timothy encourage him in his ministry and to help him to be able to carry on the work that Paul has left behind? In our passage today, this is a good window into the message of 2 Timothy. And in this letter, uh, Paul tells Timothy four vitally, vitally important things. He tells him what he will need, tells Timothy the task he has to complete, tells Timothy the struggles he's going to face, and he tells Timothy the reason for it all. And so as we look at this passage, uh, there is the structure we're going to see, and he starts off by telling Timothy what Timothy will need. So turn with me, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So very quickly and very obviously, what does Timothy need? He needs God's strength. See, Timothy is facing a scary situation. He's back here working in the church in Ephesus. He's always ministered alongside Paul. He's been left Paul, and he's ministered under the authority of Paul. And so he's here in the church, and now Paul is in Rome. Paul is in chains. Paul is a criminal, and Paul is about to be executed. 
And Timothy has a lot of questions that he has to deal with here. Paul has just finished telling Timothy of some of the co-workers that they had had who had abandoned him. In fact, people are abandoning Paul uh, in this moment of crisis. And Timothy has to be wondering, if Paul is in chains, if Paul is going to be executed, does this mean that I have followed the wrong leader? Does this mean that Paul's ministry went in the wrong direction? And Timothy has to wonder, is this my fate as well? Am I tied to what Paul is going into? And so, so Paul knows that Timothy needs encouragement and Paul knows that Timothy needs strength as he goes forward to carry forward the task that Paul's going to give him. And what I want you to see here is a couple of things. First, when Paul writes Timothy, he doesn't tell Timothy to be strong. He doesn't tell Timothy to be tough. He doesn't tell Timothy to buck up. No, he tells Timothy to be strengthened. Specifically, he tells him to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul is clear, we're not strong enough on our own. It's not some great feat of willpower that is going to carry us through ministry and carry us through serving Christ. Only by abiding in Christ can we be strengthened for the tasks that he gives us. Timothy's not going to be surprised by this instruction, this instruction to find strength in Christ Jesus. Because if you've read Paul, if you've read his letters, you know that over and over again, Paul talks about the strength and the grace and the power that is found in Christ Jesus by abiding in Christ and in his word. Timothy would have heard that over and over again. In fact, just in this letter, just in uh, 2 Timothy, you see over and over again that Paul talks about being in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 1. The promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Chapter 1, verse 9. Purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus. One thirteen, The faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Right here in verse, chapter 2, verse 1. The grace that is in Christ Jesus. 2.10, the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. 3.12, a godly life in Christ Jesus. 3.15, faith in Christ Jesus. See, Paul, felt, Paul teaches that everything the believer needs for life and godliness, everything the believer needs to live a life that honors Christ is found in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.13, many of you know the verse well. It says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So the first thing Paul tells Timothy is that you need strength, and you need to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And as we move forward to this through this text, as we move forward to see the task that Christ has for us, we know that our source of strength to accomplish this is not within ourselves, but it comes from Christ Jesus. And what is the task that Paul gives Timothy to complete? Let's look at verse 2. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you see that Timothy's task is to faithfully teach sound doctrine to other men who will then be able to teach even more men. The sound doctrine is important. That the things that Timothy is supposed to speak are the same things that he has heard Paul teaching as he has gone from church to church. It is from Scripture. It is from the words of Christ. It is from the doctrine that Paul is entrusted with. And that's the doctrine that Timothy is supposed to protect. He's supposed to safeguard. He's supposed to teach Faithfully, he is supposed to teach the very same things that he has heard Paul teaching. We know that that doctrine is always under attack. You see Paul always defending sound doctrine, defending uh, his message. And we see it's going to continue to be so. You can look at uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. Just later in this letter, Paul writes, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, 
But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So we've seen that happen over and over again in Paul's writings where he's countering false teaching and he tells Timothy, you have to guard the sound doctrine. But Timothy's not just to guard it, he is supposed to entrust it to faithful men. That word entrust suggests that he is supposed to be careful with this sound doctrine. He does not just pass it out, but instead he's supposed to teach it in a way that protects it and makes sure that the men he's giving it to are faithful are going to protect it as well. The protection of sound doctrine, the teaching of sound doctrine is very important here. And we see that they're supposed to be faithful. The men he gives it to are supposed to be trustworthy, faithful to Christ, faithful to teach the word, and they're supposed to be able to teach others also. They are to be teachers, those who can continue to pass it on. Paul doesn't want this to end with Timothy. He doesn't even want it to end with those that Timothy teaches. But Paul says, for the growth of the church, for the progress of the Great Commission, you have to entrust a sound doctrine to faithful men who in turn can teach others just in the same way. Way. We see four generations there. We see Paul to Timothy, Timothy to these faithful men, and these faithful men even to more faithful men who are faithfully handling this sound doctrine. It's the same task we follow here at the church. Just as Paul looks to build faithful in churches by producing faithful teachers who are able to reproduce themselves, we also are trying to do the same things. We are tasked with teaching sound doctrine. That's why when I come up here to bring a message, or when Pastor Jim comes up here to bring a message, he doesn't just read a verse or two and then give you his opinion on a great number of things. And I say that lightly, but there are a great number of teachers who do just that. They read a verse, and then they talk about what they want to talk about. Our task is to bring to you God's word. We have been entrusted with that task. So we have to do the study. We have to seek to understand it. We have to ask for God's help and direction. We have to seek the Holy Spirit to carry that word into your hearts and bear fruit. And so we must teach sound doctrine, staying faithful to the word, and challenging false teachings when they arise. We also are tasked with entrusting more teachers to expand our ability to make more disciples. It cannot end with us, but instead we're looking for those who can be trusted to handle God's words faithfully and can in turn teach others. And we must choose and train those teachers faithfully to be able to teach others. So as we look at even our life groups, they're here to make disciples and they're here to encourage each other around the word. We, we seek to choose leaders who will be faithful to God's word, who will be faithful to Christ and who will regularly prepare and do a good job of handling God's word so that people, so that can, disciples can be faithfully made. And I want to encourage you and warn you today that you can go onto the internet, you can go on the media and find teachings from all across the world. And what you will find so often is that 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 4 has come true. People have not endured sound teaching, but they have itching ears. They've accumulated for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And they are turning away from listening to the truth and wandering off into myths. There are teachers out there who are not faithful, who are not teaching sound doctrine. And so I warn you, as you go, there are some great teachers out there, but you have to be discerning. You need to compare their words to the word of God, not just what sounds right, not what just scratches the itch. But what God's word says, you need to compare, you need to ask God for discernment and for his spirit to lead you. And you even need to ask other trusted teachers if the things that you're learning are true. And so let me warn you to pursue sound doctrine and faithful 
teachers. So that's the task that Paul gives Timothy, to entrust sound doctrine to faithful teachers who will then in turn be able to teach others. And that's the vital to the establishment of sound churches and to the growth of the church and the progress of the gospel. As Paul continues his vital advice to Timothy, he goes on to share about the struggles Timothy will face. And that's what we're going to see in verses 3 through 7. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. So Paul tells Timothy here that to serve Jesus, he's going to face struggles. In fact, he tells him, he commands him to share in suffering as a good soldier in Christ Jesus. So suffering and struggles are not the exception to following Christ. They are actually the expectation of following Christ. It is the good soldier who suffers. It is the good soldier that struggles. It's not a possibility. It is a certainty. Paul goes on to paint three pictures here. He gives three pictures of what it means to struggle in following Jesus. The first one is this picture of a soldier. He commonly uses this image throughout the New Testament, this image of, of fighting, of, uh, of spiritual warfare. And so as soon as we hear this mention of a soldier, we get this idea of a soldier standing against opposition, engaging in spiritual warfare, fighting for the gospel. The soldier who avoids struggle is not a good soldier. It is the soldier's job to embrace struggle, to oppose, to fight, to follow the mission. As followers of Christ, we've been called into a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6.12, you might know this verse. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. As soldiers of Christ, we have been called to struggle. We have been called to a fight. Another aspect of the soldier's struggle, Paul goes on to give here in verse 4. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So even beyond the normal struggles that come with being a soldier, uh, we see here that Paul is saying a soldier is disciplined. A soldier is focused. A soldier is not distracted by normal everyday affairs. All other pursuits and details are secondary. Nothing is as important as his mission and assignment. As a soldier of Christ, Timothy will have to sacrifice his own desires, some of his own comforts, his own plans. Instead, he prioritizes the will and mission of Jesus Christ. And that is what we have been called to do. For us and for Timothy, serving Christ demands that we prioritize his mission over everything else. He is our Savior and Lord, and he gets priority over our desires, over our schedules, over our efforts, over our finances, he gets priority over everything. You see, suffering with Christ is not only about where he calls us to and what he calls us to do. Suffering with Christ is often about what he calls us to leave, what he calls us to give up. That might mean that we have to give up financially for his purposes what we were hoping to use for a newer car. It might mean that we give up sports or hobbies that keep us from serving him fully. It might mean 
we make sacrifices for our family. It's like things that our family wishes to do, we do not do because instead we are called to serve Christ and he has called us to something different. It might mean that we don't pursue the life we thought we wanted because he calls us to something harder that honors him. Paul goes on to give the example of an athlete in verse 5. He says, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. What does he mean here? He means that a, a runner who is supposed to jump hurdles has to jump hurdles to win the race. A hurdler who doesn't hurdle doesn't win the race because the difficulty of jumping hurdles is the task at hand. The long-distance runner who skips half the run doesn't get to win the race because the difficulty of running the distance is the point. There's a Scottish marathon runner, even earlier this month in April, the beginning of April, uh, ran a 50-mile ultramarathon in Britain. Unfortunately, uh, after the race, people noticed that her tracking showed that she ran one of her miles in one minute and 40 seconds. So it's a 50-mile ultramarathon. She got third place. She got the trophy. She wins. And then they look back at her records and they say, she ran this mile in one minute and 40 seconds. Now, I'm not a runner. I am quite certain I could not run a mile in one minute and 40 seconds. I couldn't run a mile in seven minutes. I mean, I'm, I'm not a runner. But one minute and 40 seconds is not just a difficult task. One minute and 40 seconds is an impossible task. As they looked at it, they said, that cannot be right. And so even though she won third place, they went back and they asked her about it. And she admitted that she had hurt her leg partway into the race and had gotten into a car with a friend and driven to the next checkpoint. When she got to that checkpoint, she told them her leg was hurt, but they said, you should go ahead and finish the race. So she finished the race, and she ended up finishing in third place. And she took the trophy, she took the third place award, and she went home. And it wasn't until they went back and asked her that she admitted that that was a mistake and that she hadn't actually run the whole race. Is it unsympathetic to take the trophy away from her? Is it unsympathetic to give it to somebody else? No. It is the right thing to do because she didn't run the race. The trophy goes to those who run the race. The difficulty is the point of the race. The certainty of struggle is part of following Christ. To win the race, you have to run the whole race. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Matthew 10.22, Jesus said, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Matthew 16.24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Struggle and suffering is part of the call of following Christ. Paul goes on in verse 6 to talk about the farmer. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Not only does following Christ require discipline, not only does following Christ lead to persecution and suffering, but following Christ demands Hard work. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. The Bible tells us we cannot work 
for forgiveness. Grace is given to us. I mean, so there's no working for salvation. It is the gift of God. It is the gift through Jesus Christ who gave his life for us. We cannot work to earn God's favor, but we are to work hard for Christ. So in these three pictures, we see that our service to Christ requires discipline and focus. It requires prioritizing his mission over our own desires. That there is a certainty of struggle and persecution and suffering in following Christ. And that following Christ is hard work. So as Paul wraps up these three examples of struggles, he tells Timothy to think it over. Look at verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Now, this is sort of an interesting verse because Paul's writing a whole letter here, and I have to imagine everything he's writing, he really wants Timothy to think hard about. He really wants Timothy to consider and to, and to think hard about. But here he specifically says, think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Why does Paul call Timothy to stop here and think harder about this part? I think it's because he knows that the truth of suffering and struggle for Christ is hard to accept and even harder to follow. So Timothy needs to be convinced of it. He needs to pray about it. He needs to consider it. He needs to be, um, to be convinced. And as Timothy is faced with the suffering and coming execution of Paul, Paul knows that the temptation for Timothy is going to be to take an easier route, to teach what people want to hear, to avoid suffering, to abandon Paul as his co-workers did. And so he tells Timothy to consider whether Paul's message is true and to rely on God to confirm it to him. And likewise, guys, I want to encourage you, if you're reading the Bible and the Bible says, stop and think on these things, it is a good time for you to stop and to think about what you just read because everything in the Bible is important. But sometimes the Bible says, tells us to take an extra consideration and that's what it does right here. And so that's what I want us to do. When God led me to this passage this week, I was, I was preparing for it, and I was a little surprised that it was so focused on suffering, more so than I had originally even thought when I chose the passage. In fact, Pastor Jim preached a very similar message just last week as he was talking about Jesus' words to Peter, as he told Peter to follow me, and he promised Peter that that would end in death. And Pastor Jim talked about the suffering and the persecution and the struggles that come with following Christ. And I thought, why did God lead us to two messages on following Christ through suffering in two consecutive weeks? And I think it's the same reason that the scripture here tells us to stop and to think. See, sometimes we can agree with a message in our head and we can reject it in our hearts and in our lives. And so I want us now to stop and consider what it means that God has called us to suffer along with Jesus Christ. So consider this, do you believe Paul? Do you believe that following Christ demands that we prioritize his service over all distractions and personal desires? Do you believe that following Christ will lead to persecution, to struggle, to suffering, that there are no cheat codes, there's no shortcuts, there's no avoiding it? Do you believe that following Christ demands hard work? You might think that struggle and suffering is really reserved for Timothy's. After all, this was a letter to a pastor. Maybe that sort of struggle is, uh, is more, more oriented towards pastors. But remember that Paul says on the next page, chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
Maybe you think that that part of following Christ wasn't really your focus when you gave your life to Christ. Often when we talk about following Christ, we talk about eternal life with him. We talk about forgiveness of sins. We talk about the peace and the joy that comes from knowing Christ. We talk about the restored relationship with God. Those are all wonderful things about coming to know Christ. But the same Jesus who said, whoever believes in me will not perish but have eternal life, also said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The same Jesus who said, I came that they may have life, may have it abundantly, is the same Jesus who said, you will be hated for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. To know Christ, to follow Christ, is to go through suffering and persecution. Maybe you think you can quietly avoid struggle, suffering, hate, and persecution by living for Christ without pushing any buttons by keeping your head down and your mouth shut, as they say. But the teachings of Paul and Christ disagree. They say that to live for Christ will will bring struggle, and they say to live for Christ means to share in his suffering. So to deny that suffering, to try to avoid that suffering, to try to sneak past it, is to deny what it is to live for Christ at all. It's a rejection of his lordship of your life. So I want you to consider it now. Are you ready to make ethical decisions at work that honor Christ, even if they cost you sales, they cost you a promotion, they cost you your job? Are you ready to sacrifice vacations or a bigger house or a newer car in order to give financially what he calls you to give or to go where he calls you to go? Are you ready to not get invited to things that your friends are doing because your your love for Christ puts a damper on their parties? Are you willing to be labeled a bigot for not backing down from God's word on topics like marriage or gender or the sanctity of human life? Are you willing to follow God wherever he leads you, even when it's far away, even when it's difficult, even when you have to leave loved ones and loved things behind? Are you willing to tell others the true gospel The gospel that says that everybody has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The gospel that says that salvation only comes through Jesus Christ. Even when the people you tell it to find it offensive, or it makes them angry, or they scoff at it. Think over what Paul says here and pray about it. To follow Christ, to share in suffering and persecution and struggle, to choose him over our desires and conference, to struggle against spiritual forces to work hard and to persevere through trials. Have you truly committed to follow Christ into suffering? Well, Paul has told Timothy about his need for God's strength. He's given Timothy the task that he is to complete. He has now told Timothy about the certainty of the struggles he's going to face. And he goes on to tell Timothy now the reason for it all. Look with me at verses 8 through 10. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am now suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Why push forward? Why endure the struggle and the suffering? Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. 
Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, who paid the price for your sins and called you to himself. Remember him risen from the dead, who proved his power over sin and death. Remember him as the offspring of David, the fulfillment of prophecy, the awaited Jewish Messiah. Remember how I preached him in this gospel, the gospel that saved you and I and calls us to its service. And it's for that gospel that I am now suffering. It's for that gospel that I am now in chains. And I'll tell you, the word of God is not bound. Paul wants Timothy to understand that because, just because he is in chains does not mean that this was an unfortunate accident. This does not mean that he's not where he's supposed to be. It doesn't mean there was a failure. Paul says, I am in chains and bound for the sake of of the gospel. I am in the center of God's will. This is what he has called me to do. I have fulfilled the task. I have run the race. This is where I am supposed to be. And so he wants Timothy to understand the word of God is not bound. This is for the furtherance of the gospel. This is God's will at work. He says, therefore, I endure everything. Why? For the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul endures it for Jesus Christ. He endures it for the gospel. He endures it for those who are still to hear that that God has sent him out to speak to, and he he endures it for the hope of eternal glory. Paul says that it is worth it for Christ for his gospel, and for the hope of heaven. Look again at verse 10. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. So why do we push forward into suffering? Because it is worth it. It is worth it for Christ, our Savior. It is worth it for the gospel. It is worth it for the salvation of the lost. It is worth it for the hope of eternal glory with Christ in heaven. Paul concludes this passage with a popular saying from the early church, verses 11 through 13. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. If we will die to our own desires and if we will follow Christ as Lord and Savior of our life, no matter where he leads us, says we will also live with him for eternity. Says if we endure, if we persevere through trials and suffering for his sake, we will reign with him in heaven. If we deny him, if we reject suffering for his sake, if we are unwilling to follow him as Lord and Savior no matter where he leads us, then he will not acknowledge us on the day of judgment. If we are faithless, if we fall short, if we mess up, Jesus remains faithful. He does not fail. He does not fall short. He is faithful to forgive us, purify us from all unrighteousness. He cannot deny himself. He is faithful. Paul has written Timothy this letter knowing it may be his last words to him. And the most important things he can say to Timothy are these. Depend on God's strength. Faithfully pursue the task of making disciples. Embrace the suffering that comes with serving Christ with your whole heart. And remember your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and that he is worth every bit of it. Our Savior is faithful. He is worth it. Let me ask you this morning, are you willing to follow him 
even knowing that it leads to struggle and to suffering? Is there something that he is calling you to do today that you've been resisting? Is there something he's been calling you to give up or to leave behind so that you can serve him wholeheartedly? Are you considering whether you want to give your life to Christ? You've heard today that following Jesus Christ as Lord means a life of sacrifice and of struggle and of suffering. But Christ has suffered for you, taking the punishment for your sins, redeeming you, and restoring you into a relationship with him. In Christ is joy, peace, purpose, and eternity in heaven. And if you give your life to him, he will call you into a life of struggling and suffering. And uh, for his sake and for those he came to save, but for him, for them, and for the hope of eternity, I tell you this morning, it is worth it. It is worth it. Pray with me. Father, it is a hard message you've brought us this morning. But God, we, we declare this morning that you are worth it. You are worth our wholehearted service to you. You are worth us leaving behind things. God, you are worth us sacrificing. You are worth us suffering for you and for your call in our lives, for the joy that we have in you, for the sake of the loss, for the progress of the gospel, and for the hope of eternity with you. So, God, we worship you this morning, and we worship you by giving our lives over to you, by committing ourselves to you, and to following you even into suffering, wherever you may lead us. We want to follow you. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.